Our Father in heaven, Lord, holy is your name. We praise you and we glorify you, God. We do recognize that you are indeed the almighty God, that you hold the whole world in your hands, and that, Lord, you are in control of everything, and nothing escapes your attention. But indeed, you are bringing this world to the expected end for which you created it. And we thank you, Lord, that you are in control. We thank you that you are the everlasting rock and that you are worthy of our trust and our faith. We thank you for the privilege that we have to approach you because of the holy cross of Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for his precious blood, which was shed for our sins. We thank you for the great privilege that we have, God, to have our sins forgiven. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your blessed Holy Spirit that you have sent to dwell in our hearts through faith. And, Lord, that he is constantly and continually changing us so that we become more like Jesus. We pray for strength in our faith, Lord. And we pray for help in our struggle against sin. Oh, Lord, we do want to be like Jesus. And we pray that you would continue to work your good purpose in us and strengthen us to work out our salvation, God. And help us, Lord, to revere you properly, to fear your holy name, to worship you acceptably with reverence and with awe. We ask, God, that you would help us to see more clearly as the days go by that this is your world and we are your creatures, the work of your hands, God, and that we were created to glorify and to enjoy you. We thank you for this great privilege that we have. We thank you for our life and our breath and everything you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, something a little different as we get started this morning. I have a book here, a John Piper book, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. I want to give this book away. So, I want to give it to somebody who can stand up and articulate the gospel for me in one minute or less. Here we go. Right there, brother. Okay, go. There you go. Uh, that's a courageous brother. Anybody else? Anybody else? Dave. This one is Reasons We Believe by Nathan Businitz. Go. Ah, you went five seconds over. (laughs) (laughs) Any females? Mary Beth. This one is uh, Because the Time is Near by John MacArthur. (laughs) 
So, obviously, excuse me, <clears throat> obviously what, what I'm after when I want to hear the gospel articulated are these four things, all four of which, all three of those people nailed. <laughs> uh, not necessarily in that specific order, but they did get to those essential elements, okay? And so the gospel is really simple, but in its most basic form, it covers these four elements, okay? You can't boil it down to anything more simple than these four elements. Every one of those is a necessary, essential element. If you take one of these out, you no longer have the gospel, okay? So <clears throat> thank you for all of you courageous people who are willing to articulate the gospel in this non-hostile environment. <laughs> I don't suppose you'd fare as well if this was a gathering at UC Berkeley. <laughs> you might have to bring your armor for that one. <laughs> or your asbestos britches. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> okay. So, that was good. We are on uh, the top of page 122. This is our last lesson this year. I really uh, I feel like there's so much more to this, which I usually do at the end of uh, our class season. I always feel like there's so much more to cover. And, you know, really, though, we, we really only have time to cover an introduction into most of these things. And so... Uh, that's why I'm always and continually pointing you to other resources to try and help you find deeper study in those areas <clears throat> and different websites and things where you can find a lot of resources to help you understand. But uh, the last thing I'm going to do here is talk about just some, just some important uh, principles in sharing the gospel. And then I also want to encourage you to, to attend the class that we're going to have on evangelism. Uh, this summer. Now, in that class, we're going to be looking at one specific curriculum that's been developed by a couple of brothers called The Way of the Master. And uh, if you're not familiar with those guys, it's Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron. And uh, one of the things about it is it's just one way to share the gospel, okay? So, if you will, it's, it's uh, however, it's a good way. It's They, they have... Uh, uh, a very biblical way of sharing the gospel, and they kind of have have it laid out into a system. And if you will, it's a great tool to have in your evangelism toolkit. Okay. So, um, but one of the things they do real well is they teach you how to articulate the gospel, and they teach you how to present it to people in such a way that it shows them their need for the gospel. And uh, so there's some really helpful aspects of it that they really make very clear. And very biblical. And so, if you will, it's a, it, I think it's a good thing for every Christian to have this fundamental understanding of, of um, well, how about the way that the law works together with the gospel in salvation, which is one of the main things they focus on. And, they, you know, basically they use the Ten Commandments and they, you know, open up a conversation with you and show you how you violated the commandments and so you violated the law of God and therefore you're worthy of death. But then they give you the good news of the gospel and tell you how to be saved. And so, uh, if you will, 
I want to encourage you to be involved in sharing the gospel. This is our responsibility as Christians, family. As we studied a few weeks back, evangelism is not only a privilege that we have, it's also our duty as Christians, as Christian disciples, as followers of Christ. Amen? Amen. And so I just want to encourage you in that. But then also, just to talk about some different elements, and I have eight of them listed here in our lesson today, and and, uh, we'll uh, take off here and see if we can cover some of these. There are no magic bullets when it comes to sharing the gospel. It is simply a matter of us being a faithful ambassador of the message of Christ. However, there are many guiding principles that can help us to be as effective as possible. So the first one is that the gospel is a simple message. We need to communicate the simple truths of the gospel clearly, okay? And so, you know, one of the problems in the modern church is the gospel has been redefined in so many different ways. And uh, you may remember the discussions that we've had about how what is happening in modern evangelicalism is what we call reductionism. You remember that? Reductionism in regard to the gospel simply means that they reduce the gospel down to one specific, you know, idea. And then they want to, they want to, you know, uh, give you a hundred reasons to Sunday why that one idea is true. For instance, God loves you and has a plan for your life. And, you know, that's a very common thing we hear in the evangelical church. Well, as true as that is, <laughs> God loves all of his creation. Amen? Why? Well, because God is love, right? God is loving. <laughs> and, and, yeah, he has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And um, <clears throat> if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a good plan. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a bad plan. Right? But they never tell you that part of it, if you will. They kind of, you know, have pulled a lot of promises and things together out of the Scripture, and they want to tell you about your best life now, and with the exclusion of the warning that is in the Gospel to death. Amen? And so, you know, how we're talking about it's very important that we don't reduce the Gospel down to some specific, one specific thing. We need to be able to communicate the essential truths of the Gospel and communicate them clearly. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Believes what? Believes these essential truths about the gospel. Okay? And as we've said several times, it's kind of hard to delineate specifically exactly what knowledge somebody has to have in order to actually be saved. Because usually the way it works is, as, as, we, as we know, regeneration precedes faith. And so typically what happens is God the Holy Spirit is drawing and calling and working effectually in somebody's life to bring them to himself. And there's some point in time and space when they reach that point of regeneration and God turns on the light. But we don't necessarily know when that is. Amen? I mean, it's hard for us to sense. I mean, we can look at signs of, of how people are responding and things are saying and We can gain an idea, maybe. But we really don't know at what point somebody actually comes to faith. As a matter of fact, some people, it looks like they come to faith, and, man, they're on fire for Jesus for 8, 10, 20 years. And then the next thing we know, their life takes a turn, and and they're living in sin, and they're living in unrepentant sin, and and, uh, it's very clear to us that this is not the life of a born-again Christian. Right? 
And so, uh, you know, uh, it's like Jesus said, you know, sometimes the seed lands into rocky soil and it springs up for joy. But when the heat of the sun comes, quickly withers and falls away. And so what appeared to be regeneration, what appeared to be saving faith, isn't saving faith at all. Amen? And so it's important for us um, to understand that God is, is working in people, and we don't really know what the point is. All we know is we want to clearly articulate the gospel so people can be saved. And once they get saved, family, it's important for us then to take a responsible uh, uh, commitment in their life to disciple them and to see them come to maturity and to give them the things that they need to be a productive and effective Christian. Amen? We, we, you know, we're not just looking to get somebody to this point where they respond to Christ in faith and then we you know, just plop them down in a pew somewhere and, and hope they're going to grow. Amen? Yeah. Christians need to be discipled. And that's the pattern of the master. Not only the pattern of the master, but of the disciples he trained. That's what they did. They brought people to faith, and then they what? They strengthened the souls of the disciples, in the words of Acts, right? So it's important for us to do that. But, however, I think the most important thing for us to remember is that the gospel is really simple. In its core, in essential aspects, it's really simple. And we need to be able to articulate it and articulate it clearly. In other words, we don't want to confuse people. And one of the things we've got to be real careful of is, you know, we go to church every week and we come to church and we hear the preacher preach and we hear the Sunday school teacher teach and we hear our fellow Christians around us talking and we kind of have Christianese, you know what I mean? And so we, we throw words like justification and sanctification and all these terms around and people who aren't, who are unchurched, if you will, or don't really know what those terms mean, to them it's a big cloud, Okay. They haven't had justification taken apart for six weeks on end for them. You know, they don't know what that means. They may not even realize that God is a judge, much less that there is a need for a legal justification before him. You know what I'm saying? And so it's important that we be able to communicate with people where they're at. Some people know what justification is, and when you talk about it, it's, uh, you know, but typically not anybody you're evangelizing. You with me? <laughs> I mean, if somebody has a good grasp on what justification is, they're either already saved or there's probably not much need to try and evangelize them. Yeah. You with me? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it's important to communicate the message in very simple terms. God, it's a message about the one true and living God and his claim on our lives as our sovereign creator and righteous judge. You know, in today's world, the term God means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And to you, it means the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Who came in the flesh as a man in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal triune God of heaven, right? I mean, to us, there's a biblical God, and he is God Almighty, and that's who he is. He is I am who I am, right? And, uh, but, but that's not necessarily the view of people in the culture, a lot of people in the culture have a very mixed-up idea about God. It, not only that, there are people in the church who have a very mixed-up idea about God. Amen? And so it's important when we talk about God to give them some of the essential elements about God's nature that's going to help them understand the gospel. Okay? 
Uh, and that's why we point out, you know, he's, he's both our sovereign creator and our righteous judge. And you can use those terms right there to go a lot of places with God. I mean, just think how much you can talk about God if you just get on the one topic of God's sovereignty, what that means, who he is. And, and, um, uh, and, and that right there will establish the fact that he has a claim on our life. He is the creator and we are his creatures. He created us for his purposes. We do not exist for our own purpose. We exist primarily for God's purpose. Amen? People in the culture don't understand this. How do we know? Well, they live their whole life ignoring God. They pay no attention to him. He's not sacred to them at all. Right? And their lifestyle bears that out. But these are the kind of things we need to be able to kind of help people understand who God is. He's also a righteous judge. And, and this is one of the things that the culture rejects wholeheartedly. They don't want anybody to judge them or tell them how they ought to live or what they ought to do. Everybody wants to be the captain of his own ship. Right? All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one where? His to his own way. Right? And, and we don't want anybody telling us what to do. And that's why we went and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> right? And that's why they killed Jesus. <clears throat> they said, we don't want this man to be Lord or King over us. Crucify him. Amen? And so, uh, if you will, that's a fundamental problem. However, that doesn't change who God is. God is a sovereign creator, and he is a righteous judge. And those are fundamental truths that people need to understand if they're going to understand what sin is. Okay? Which is another concept that, that really is foreign to our culture. And so we, we've got, in order to be able to lay the foundation of what sin is and why we have such a desperate need to be saved, people have to understand who God is, okay? Because sin is an offense against a holy God. It's a transgression against his law by which he's going to hold us accountable as individual persons, amen? Because when all has been said, here is the conclusion of the matter, Right? Fear God and keep his commandments, for God will bring to judgment every person's deeds, including every hidden thing, whether they are good or evil. Amen? And, and so it's important for people to understand that God is going to judge, and when he judges, everybody is going to be found as a sinner, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? But are justified freely as a gift by his grace. To all those who believe through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Amen? Romans 3:23 and 24. So <clears throat> in order to be able to tell people the good news about the gospel, we got to be able to clearly lay the foundation of the bad news, right? And that's really where we get all the resistance. I mean, everybody lo loves the idea about being freely forgiven. <laughs> Yeah, everybody loves the idea that everybody goes to heaven. In fact, most people in the American culture, that's, that's their theology, right? Just turn on Oprah. She's, she preaches the everybody goes to heaven gospel, right? And it's, it is so pluralistic, it's, it's nuts, right? But the, the fact of the matter is, is that um, not everybody goes to heaven. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that enter therein. But straight and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. 
That's the truth. Okay? And, and so we need to be able to communicate to people that God is going to judge sin. And God is going to judge the sin of every single individual. That includes me and that includes the object, that the, person, the subject I'm talking to. Right? God is going to judge their sin. And somebody is going to die for that sin. Either they are going to die for that sin or Jesus is going to die for that sin. But without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Not only that, but the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. And God is going to ascribe that payment to that person's sin. The good news about Christ is he died as a sacrifice. He died as a substitute to take our place and die for our sins because he didn't have to die for his own sins. Amen? And so we have to be able to articulate this to people so that they can grasp the nature of what salvation is. Jesus is dying as a substitute for sins. And it's through that sacrificial death of Christ that we can be forgiven because God's wrath is propitiated in Christ's death. God's wrath for our personal sins is satisfied by the death of Christ. And it's through that death that our guilt then gets removed. Amen? So that we are freely forgiven and beyond reproach in the sight of God through Christ. Amen? If we receive him in repentance and faith. Amen? And so, furthermore, we need to be able to articulate to them there must be a response. You know, it's not just, it's not just about the facts that Jesus accomplished redemption, but he accomplished it for a specific group of people. Who are they? They are those who respond in repentance and faith. Okay? And so every human has a responsibility to the gospel to either believe and trust and repent or to perish. Amen? And so it's important for people to understand what that response looks like. You can't just say, well, I'll, hey, that's nice. Jesus died for me. I'll have one Jesus and put him on my shelf with the rest of the other little gods in my life. Right? No, no. Jesus is commanding all men everywhere to repent. That means turn away from your sins and follow after him in obedience to his teaching. To obey the commandments of God henceforth. Amen? And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous one. Amen? We say we have no sin. We're a liar. We do not live by the truth. Right? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen? So it doesn't mean we're never going to sin again. <laughs> right? It simply means that we change the direction of our life from following after our own self-will and our own sinful lifestyle to begin to follow after Jesus and follow after his God-centered will. Amen? And to follow after his teaching and to allow him to conform our lives to his life. Amen? Because he's our Lord. He's our master. He's our king. Amen? Okay, so... Those are the simple facts of the gospel that we need to communicate. In one sentence, man has been separated from God, the creator and sustainer of life, because of sin. And sin is why there is death in the world. 
And Christ is God's provision to atone for man's sins. And man can simply receive God's provision through repentance and faith. Amen? So, you know, here's the thing for you, family. If you can memorize something like that, that basically holds these four essential elements in there, then you have a, a, a way that you can remember those four elements. Okay? It may be just as simple for you just to remember those. God, man, Christ response. Right? That might be a simpler way. And, and then this will give you a platform for, for your conversation with somebody who you're trying to bring them to an understanding of the gospel. Okay? Uh, so the gospel is simple. We need to be able to communicate the simple truths of the gospel clearly. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all those who believe. That's how people get saved. They get saved through the gospel. And how are they going to get saved if they don't have a preacher? Right? Paul's argument in Romans 10. And how are they going to have a preacher if nobody gets sent? You with me? But when they do get sent and they are a preacher, what are they preaching? The gospel. The the power of God for salvation to all those who believe. Amen? Okay. So then. I think the gospel is really clearly articulated in Romans 3, 21 through 24. It's a good scripture to memorize. Paul writes, he says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So one other thing to to remember here, we're not calling people to some kind of a religious tradition. We're not calling them to become a Methodist or a Baptist or a Presbyterian, right? We're not calling them to some form of religious activity, we're not asking them to come to church and sing and throw their money in the plate. And we're not asking them to do anything but to trust in Christ for righteousness. Amen? And, and, and the way that they trust in Christ for righteousness is to turn away from personal sin in their life. Are you with me? Those things of religious form and tradition will come. They will come as that person begins to learn about Christ and as you begin to disciple them and teach them then how to worship God, right? And how to gather with God's holy family, the church, and and how to serve in the church and become a productive member of the body of Christ, amen? All those things are going to come, but none of those things are the way of salvation. Are you with me? It's not of works lest any man should boast, amen? It is the gift of God. By grace have you been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? Amen. Okay, so then, another important point is gentleness and respect. When you're sharing the gospel, it is important to be a witness with Christian character and integrity. You carry the words of eternal life to dying sinners, and you represent the king of virtue. Now think about this. When you think about Jesus in in these terms, he's the king of virtue. What kind of picture do you see there? 
When, when I think of virtue, I think about goodness. I think about mercy and patience and wisdom and justice and kindness and love and peace and joy. Those are virtues. Those are the virtues of God. And there's many more, right? Compassion and humility and the big long list of Christian virtues, okay? Well, none of those look like an angry, Bible-thumping guy with fangs ready to bust people over the head with a Bible. Are you with me? And, and, and that's not the way that we share the gospel, what we're what we're doing is is we're we're trying to to explain great good news to people, and not only that, it's the most important thing they can ever hear. Okay, so we need to learn to be amiable in our character to them. As excited as we may be about wanting to share the gospel and tell somebody that you know, hey, uh, there's bad news as well as good news. Well, the bad news is going to come as such a heavy blow. We don't need to compound the problem by, by being angry. We don't need to compound the problem by being uh, forceful or divisive or demeaning. Are you with me? We need to be respectful. We need to, we need to be an ambassador of the king of virtue. Are you with me? We represent the king of patience. We represent the king of mercy and compassion and glory and honor and respect. Are you with me? And so let us be witnesses of his character in our own character. It's an important thing. I wrote down some words to try to describe what I think the Bible gets at when it says gentleness and respect. You might be familiar with the word gentleness in the New Testament. is really also translated in other places as meekness. And, and meekness, really, the core meaning of that word means power under control. And so there's a sense of having a dominating wisdom, okay, yet withholding that at the, at the proper uh, uh, degree. Are you with me? So uh, we also use the term gentleness then. So here's Jesus, God, very God, right? And he says, come and learn of me because I am gentle and humble in heart. Amen? Uh, but some of the words I wrote down, Warm, friendly, cordial, amiable, charming, pleasant, delightful. Those are terms I think ought to describe our character as we represent Christ in the world. How much more when we're trying to explain the gospel to somebody? Amen? You with me? Okay. So, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Okay? Okay, then. Old, old story. Who can tell me, what do I mean by old, old story? The gospel is an old, old story. The same gospel. Same gospel, which means it, it what? It doesn't change it. It doesn't change. It never changes. The gospel isn't new. Okay? It's, it's the same message it's always been. Okay? 
Now, I don't have any problem with us finding new ways to articulate the old story. Okay? That's fine. As long as we're getting to these essential elements of what the message is. Okay? And there are many ways to illustrate different truths in the gospel. And there are many ways to talk to people about the gospel. But let me tell you something. The story never changes. Because the gospel is a message about a historical reality that took place. It's a message about something that happened in history of which there are written facts. Okay? And it's, you know, our faith has an object, and the object is Christ, and Christ is on a cross, and he died for sins. Okay? And he was raised from the dead, and he holds the keys of death and hell in his hands. He's the conquering king over death. Okay? And that's a reality. That's a fact. And, and so not only that, but the message that he gave us to declare to the world about his death is, in fact, a story that has never changed ever since it happened and it was implemented. And it never will change. And it's that gospel that is the power of God for salvation to all those who believe. So there aren't any new elements, okay? These are the elements. So you might find some new interesting way to explain this to people, and that's fine. Like, for instance, Ray Comfort has a way, right? He shows people through God's law that they're guilty of sin, and he shows them through that that they have a need for a Savior, and then he explains to them that Christ is the Savior, and, and if you will, he gets at all these things, and he's got this new way to share it. Well, how is that new way? Well, it's probably not too new, frankly, but the way he's got it kind of neatly packaged is kind of a new way to explain it to people. It kind of helps you to get right to the point right away, okay? Well, that's great. Because he didn't change the old, old story. It's still the old, old story. You with me? I'm going to move on. Jesus is a personal Savior and Lord for every individual who believes. This means that each person must come to him personally and be saved by him for their own personal sins. Okay, Jesus isn't just some religious figure. That, that, that we have some mental assent to the knowledge of him that he existed. Are you with me? Listen, either he is your own personal Savior and Lord, or you are on your way to hell. To put it quite bluntly. Either you have an intimate, loving relationship with Christ, or you are not saved. Because true Christianity, family, is a matter of coming to love Christ, the person. Okay, that's how personal the relationship is. It's a relationship of love that transcends every other love relationship in your life. Are you with me? That's why Jesus makes statements like, unless you hate your father and your mother, your sister and your brother, right? And even your own life, he says, you're not worthy to be my disciple. What's he saying? Well, he's not trying to tell you to hate your family. He's trying to tell you that your relationship of love with him ought to be to such a degree that your relationships with your others looks like hate. That it is to be the preeminent love relationship in your life. Are you with me? That's his point. And and so uh, this is important for people to understand. They're not just 
ascending to some religious truths and concepts and some ideology. But they are coming to the person of Christ to be saved by him personally. And not only that, when that happens, they're going to enter into union with Christ. And Christ is going to come to live and dwell inside their soul. Amen? Along with the Holy Spirit of God, who also is a person of the Godhead, who's going to come and live within them. Amen? You with me? And so it's important for people to understand this, that Jesus is a personal Savior and a personal Lord. Each person must submit to Jesus as Lord in repentance from sin and personal trust in him alone as their righteousness before God to be saved. They have to ascend to that place of understanding that Jesus himself is the atonement for their own personal sins and he is the propitiation for God's personal wrath against their personal sins. Are you with me? They need to understand they have offended the holy God. And Jesus is the way to be forgiven from that offense. The only way. And the very personal way. Amen? John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Okay? You see, it doesn't say they who do not obey the Son. It says he who does not obey the Son. It's a very personal thing. Okay, number five, a right response, faith and repentance. It is of utmost importance that we stress upon people their responsibility to repent of their sins and to make a conscious choice to trust in Christ as their righteousness before God. So there's really two parts to this response, family, faith and repentance, repentance and faith, okay? And, and even though true saving faith is by its nature repentant, okay, it's important to emphasize to people that they have to make a 180. <laughs> They've got to turn away from their own self-will and surrender their life to the will of Christ, They've got to turn away from their old sinful lifestyle and their sinful habits and their sinful way that they go about their sinful activity, which their life is filled with. Okay? (laughs) And they need to turn the whole direction of that life toward Christ and begin to follow after him. Okay? And it doesn't mean like, you know, overnight they're going to become this, you know, perfect godly example of a mature Christian. Right? Right? What it does mean is that they have very specific personal sins that they have been committing all of their life that they must turn away from. And they need to understand that. They need to be able to clearly see what it is in their life that they need to turn from. Right? And many times when we're evangelizing to people, those things are really clear because they're in a difficult situation and that's the reason we got their ear and you know, it's very clear to, to see with some people what their sins are. Some sins go before men, right? Some come after. Some are easy to see. Some are not so easy to see. But every sinner has a life filled with sin. That's what they do. They're sinners. What do sinners do? They sin. When you repent, what are you doing? You're turning away from your sin, okay? And it's important for people to understand that, obviously. But then when we trust in Christ, 
Okay, think about this. What are we trusting Christ for? And I, I want to put it in these terms. As my righteousness before God. I'm trusting Christ as my sacrifice, my own personal sacrifice for my own personal sins. So when I stand before God, it goes like this. Why should I let you into my heaven? Because Jesus died for me. Jesus died for Sean. He died for my sins. He was a lamb sacrificed and shed his blood for all of the heinous sins that I've committed in my life. Are you with me? So what am I trusting Christ for? I'm trusting him to be a sacrifice for my sins. More than that, I'm trusting him to to have fulfilled the entire law for me. He lived a perfect life of righteousness before God. And I'm, I'm receiving that by imputation. I'm trusting him to be a perfect, righteous representative for me before God. Amen? So, <clears throat> you notice how there's no works in that at all? There isn't a single work in that. This is the work of God, says Jesus, to believe on the one he has sent. Amen? And here's the deal. If I truly trust Christ, I'm going to begin to, to, to desire wholeheartedly to follow after him and obey him. Amen? If he truly is Lord and Savior and Master and King, right? My life is going to conform accordingly. And there is going to be a repentance from sin. But obviously people need to understand that. So, furthermore... The gospel is a message about God. <clears throat> One of the things that we're saying is, is that people in our culture have all kinds of mixed up understandings about who God is. Okay? Well, there's a passage of scripture that I think really makes it clear. Because when Paul was talking to the Athenians, um, he, he was saying, he was speaking to a pagan culture. He was speaking to... Uh, um, polytheistic peoples who had a belief in many, many gods, right? You're familiar with the story in Acts 17 where Paul comes and he says, I found this shrine to an unknown God. And he says, this unknown God, he says, I'm going to proclaim to you, right? And uh, here's what he said. He said, Acts 17, 24 and 25, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. Now, those two verses of Scripture right there are a very powerful tool for communicating the essential truths about who God is to postmodern people. Okay? Because the essential elements about God that they really aren't too clear about are all articulated right there in those verses. God is the creator, Paul says. He made the world and all things in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He's establishing that God is the one who's in authority because he is the creator. He goes on, look what he says here, family. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. What does that mean? It means that God is, God is not in need of man's service. He goes on, he says, Neither is he served by human hands. 
God doesn't need somebody to go build the temple for him or walk on their knees to Santa Fe or whatever, whatever religious tradition you want to uh, put on the backs of people to say that God is requiring. Listen, God is in heaven. He made the world. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need anybody. Amen. He's eternally existent. And everything in the creation is entirely dependent upon him. Amen? Amen? And it doesn't mean that humans don't have dignity and respect they do, of course. They're the crowning achievement of God's creation made in His image. Amen? I mean, we, we men, all men should receive the respect and the honor that's due to them as men and the dignity that comes with human life. Amen? But, but let me tell you, God does not have some big long laundry list of requirements that we have to fulfill in order to achieve some state of of uh, obedience in his sight before we can enter into his holy heaven. Because if that's the truth, family, we ain't never going to get there. I mean, like I've said to you a hundred times, I could, from this day forward, live my life in perfect obedience, but what does that say about the 10,000 sins I've committed before now? Are you with me? And so, listen, God isn't served with human hands. He doesn't need your your religious rites and traditions in order to be acceptable before him. Okay? But who is he? He's the God who gives all life and breath and all things. Now that's a statement about God's providence. That's a statement about the fact that God is in control of who lives and dies. Which means that God is in control of things that cause people to live and die like car accidents and tornadoes and cancer. And we could make a big long list. Let me tell you something. God is in control of those things. That's what it means to be God. Amen? Amen? You with me? And this is what people don't know about God. They They don't have a lot of knowledge about who God is. So it's important for us to be able to explain and lay that foundation of who God is. But look what Paul goes on to say. He says in verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. In short, these verses in Acts show God as our sovereign creator and our righteous judge. Okay? Um, So, number seven, nothing more important. The gospel is good news of great joy, but it is also a serious matter of utmost importance. Okay? Listen, you really can't afford to overlook the gospel with people who need to hear it. And when you do that, you're really deceiving yourself. Because you're saying to them, you know what? Whatever's keeping me from sharing the gospel, well... That's really more important than their need to hear it. I mean, when you boil it down to brass tacks, it's true. Because there isn't anything more important. I mean, can you think of something that's more important than, than where somebody stands in their eternal destiny with Christ? Anybody? Any suggestions of anything that might be even remotely related to the importance of the gospel and where somebody stands? So I wonder if we actually practice it in our life with that sense of seriousness. 
I don't really wonder. I know that we don't. Are you with me? Nevertheless, we need to let the word of God transform our thinking so that we do see it in its right light. And when you think about Jesus, when he was here in his public ministry, was there anything more important in the life of Jesus than sharing the gospel? Isn't that what he gave his life to wholeheartedly? Not only that, but he made sure that once he left, that there was going to be some men who faithfully carried it on, and he gave himself to that ministry of disciple-making with, with all the fervor that he did of preaching the gospel. Because those were the centrally important things in the life of the world and in the life of people around him. Are you with me? And so it kind of it brings meaning and purpose to our life. Do we live our life to preach the gospel? Do we live our life to communicate to men how they can be saved? Do we live our life to make disciples and help others grow in their faith? You know, where are our priorities? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Think about your own life. Where are your priorities? Where should they be? Amen? Something to really give some serious thought to. Undoubtedly, we will meet with much resistance if we are faithful to the true gospel. But we should not let this discourage us. We will need much courage to proclaim the gospel regularly and accurately. We must ask the question to ourselves, which matters more, our reputation or their salvation? You see, usually the thing that keeps us from sharing the gospel is we think people are going to reject us. And, and with that, you know, that may mean several things. Well, they're not going to like us anymore or, or, or they're, they're my boss and they're going to make me do things I don't want to do. And, or, you know, I mean, we may have a big long list of reasons why we don't want to tell people the gospel because they're going to reject us. However, the fact of the matter is, which is more important? The way they treat us and our reputation or their salvation. Okay? Something to think about. It is a serious matter of utmost importance and a supreme act of love for neighbor to tell people the gospel. Family, it's the supreme act of love to tell people the gospel. And you know... I understand. People in our postmodern culture, when you bring up death and hell, they have fangs. And those fangs have been recently sharpened. (laughs) Right? You with me? People don't want to hear about the judgment of God. Right? They want to, that's an antiquated category of religious thought that was for uh, 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 Neanderthal peoples in ancient times. Right? We've ascended to a much higher knowledge of that now. Now we can just, you know, relativize and rationalize such things away, you know. Or God loves everybody. He's just a big grandpappy in the sky patting everybody on the head. and He would never do a thing like that. Right? What I'm telling you is, it is a supreme act of love for you to warn people that if they don't flee from the wrath of God, they are going to be destroyed by him. It's a supreme act of love. And I'm telling you to do it with gentleness and respect. So that's not an easy task. Amen? Nevertheless, it's our responsibility. We have the words of life. Those of us Christians who have been born again, who have come to the knowledge of God through the gospel, 
and now are growing and maturing in our faith, we are the ones that God has entrusted the gospel with for the coming generation family. We're the church. We're the mother of all the living. You understand? That means they get birthed through us and through our ministry. Of what? Of the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all those who believe. And if you don't tell them and you don't preach it to them, they ain't going to get saved. Now what am I saying? God isn't going to save his elect? No, I'm not saying that. (laughs) What I am saying is you are the means he is using. Amen? You are the means he is using. Okay. So keep learning. Keep learning. A brand new Christian can tell someone the gospel. But a seasoned and experienced Christian can do it with much more accuracy and clarity. More than this, many will meet us with a variety of questions which need sincere and truthful answers. I want to I wanna give you a little testimony. Oh, man, I'm out of time. Well, I'll end with this. Okay, this is not the common evangelistic thing. You're walking down the street and, you know, uh, you stop somebody and you give them a track and you say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Sure, no problem. So you tell them about Jesus and five minutes later, they, they, they fall on their knees, bawling, crying and say, I want to receive Christ as Savior. How many of you, that's happened to you before? <laughs> None, right? That's not, that's, well, maybe that did happen. I, I'm not saying it, it, it couldn't happen, okay? Certainly could. However, that's not normal, right? What's normal? Well, God puts people in your life that you share with, and they see your life, and your life is a testimony, and you're telling them about Christ, and then one day a tsunami hits their life, right? And, and who are they looking to for answers? And you have an opportunity. This is one of the normal ways, right? And so you, you, you come to meet them through one way or another, and, and uh, you begin to share with them, and you have opportunity to share with them. Well, <clears throat> recently, my, my wife and I had some young people over for dinner who are uh, some folks who are wanting to, to learn about the gospel. And, and they've actually been to church a few times. And uh, so um, I wanted to share with you some of the questions they had for me, okay? So we had dinner, and we were sharing, and it was a great time, wonderful time. And uh, I wrote down four questions they asked me in the course of an hour and 20 minutes, okay? The first one was, why did God bring sin into the world? Okay? The reason I'm telling you this is because you need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, which means you've got to have answers to the most basic questions that people are asking. Could you answer that question? Is it clear in your, I mean, without your Bible, I mean, here we are just having a conversation. Can I tell you why God brought sin into the world, right? Well, there's there's a lot of answers to that question, too. That's not just, you know, well, here it is, done. Next question, (laughs) right? Well, the first thing is God didn't bring sin into the world. Man committed sin. God's not responsible for what man has done, right? Nevertheless, the Bible says God has bound all men over to sin. Romans 11.32. Right, And so there's more to that question than just what meets the eye. Another question they asked me, why is Jesus the only way? Why is Jesus the only way? Okay, and of course I gave 
long, detailed answers about this. These, these are great questions for the gospel, man. You with me? Another one. <clears throat> Why did they choose the books that are in the Bible? And what about the new writings and gospels that are being found? So now we're on this issue of biblical authority. Do you have an answer for that? Yep. Yeah, do you, do you have an answer? I know Jeff does. That's good. He's gone out and found an answer for that. Undoubtedly, he's trying to share the gospel with somebody who's, who's saying, well, why should I believe the Bible? Right? So do you have an answer for that? It's important that we be able to articulate these things to people. And then another one. <clears throat> I don't know if I'm saved or not. I'm really struggling with that. Can you help me? That's a great question. Man, I, I mean, man, I'd love to have 100 people asking me that question. Are you with me? But, uh, but nevertheless, how do we help somebody who's coming to faith understand how God's working in their life and, and whether or not they've reached that point, you know, and, and, and how do we get them down to brass tacks? Are you with me? And even if we do get them down to brass tacks, that doesn't mean they get assurance from the Holy Spirit because it's a personal struggle between them and God. Are you with me? And I can help. I can, I can try to give them biblical answers and biblical responses. But remember, who's sovereign in salvation? God, God is. People get saved because God saves them. Yep. You with me? Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to discuss your glorious gospel. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would live the gospel each day. Father, that we would remember Jesus, the Lamb of God, dying for our sins, and that his blood would be precious blood to us, God. I pray for each one of us here that you would cause us to value Jesus, his passion, his life, his resurrection. Jesus, the person, our Lord, our Savior, our God, our King. May he be to us, God, supremely valuable and preeminent in our lives. We thank you for the privilege that we have to know you and to love you through our Lord Jesus. We thank you for the privilege that we have to have a written Bible where you have revealed yourself. Lord, may we value your word above everything that we have. We honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.